Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. I feel really uh, tenderhearted this morning from, from worship and, and even the, the drive to church this morning. I uh, began to feel like I was getting the Lord's heart for, for us. And, and um, I'm, a, I'm a crier. I feel his closeness and, you know, the dam breaks. And, <laughs> and so I've spent this morning um, just um, doing a lot of weeping in the presence. And, you know, we don't always know why or what's happening while we, while we cry or while we dance or while we laugh in the presence of the Lord. But this morning, uh, when I was up here, I saw Casey on his knees and and I saw tears on his cheeks, and, and I was weeping in the presence, and I, and I felt like the Lord said, um, I brought my feet here today so that every one of your tears can wash them. And, <clears throat> and I just felt like he's here to receive whatever it, it is we have to bring, whether it's something beautiful or messy, whether it's an offering of praise or a bunch of hard questions, or we came here with just a fistful of doubt. Um, and this morning, I, I felt like I was going to lead the church in a group repentance. And I know that everyone gets a little bit nervous, like when that word comes up, but don't worry. Um, repentance is an encounter with his kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? <clears throat> I've, been, uh, I've been in the American church now for 41 years, and, and so I got, to, I got to grow up in an incredible way. I loved my church growing up, the Sunday school, the youth group, the worship, and, um, and I've been able to um, just have a, a, a viewpoint of seeing the church uh, evolve and the messages evolve in the heart of, uh, of the American church throughout the past few decades. And you know, the, the evangelical church over the last few generations has brought many wonderful things from heaven to earth. Things like intercessory prayer and worship music that slaps as... <clears throat> is, that, is that still relevant? Thank you, thank you. There's some real bops out there now that, uh, <clears throat> <laughs> but seriously, there's worship music has come a long way. I think King David would be really proud, you know, from the great cloud of witnesses. He's like, come on, guys, that's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> In the last couple of decades, we've seen great things that the church has brought about, including a a resurgence and, and great teaching on the gifts of, of prophecy, you know, the prophetic ministry and healing and, and great books have been written and WWJD bracelets and uh, just... <clears throat> uh, but one thing I noticed that I, I feel inadvertently happened along the way in American evangelicalism is that the, sometimes the, the bar for entry is a little bit higher than what I see in Christ's outstretched arms. 
And what I mean is like, you, there was this feeling like you had to figure out how to be part of the club and to join the club. You had to believe all the right things. You had to talk the talk. You had to walk the walk. And it was as if you had to believe in order to belong. And we may have inadvertently alienated the world that Jesus came to save. I'd like to change that. I'd like people <laughs> to feel. I'd like people to feel like they belong, whether they believe yet or not. <clears throat> and that's because the, the act of adoption comes before the feeling of sonship. Turn to Matthew 11 while I collect myself. <laughs> Did you know that God likes motorcycles? <clears throat> The sound of Joshua's triumph was heard all throughout the land. <clears throat> I had to lighten the mood. Uh, so churches around the world today are, uh, are reading a specific verse. There's something uh, that churches from the Catholic tradition, Anglican tr tradition, Eastern Orthodox, and many many denominational spinoffs all throughout the world, they adhere to a calendar that goes throughout the year. And, and, um, and this week, it, it really spoke to me and it spoke to the thing that I wanted to talk about this morning. So I, I wanted to just go there because what's happening as we read this, we're joining in, like Eric was talking about, we're unified with hundreds of millions of believers reading the same verse at the same time. <clears throat> And this is uh, perhaps the most important verse highlighting Christ's open door policy. This is, this is his posture when it comes to people coming to him. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, what's that word? So why can we trust to take his yoke and learn from him? Because he's gentle. For I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the same kind of call that we hear in many different places in scripture and another uh, another instance of this heart of God is from Isaiah 55. This is in the NIV. It says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. All you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk. And it's as if you could be bankrupt 
And what you need, like the currency that, that Christ is looking for is your thirst, is your hunger, is you just coming to him without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and your souls will delight in the richest of foods. <clears throat> There's another one that I wanna, I wanna read before we move on. This is from the beginning of scripture to the end of scripture. This is the last book of the Bible. At the end of the book, Revelation 22, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but I'm really grateful that Jesus' love outlasted my will to resist. I'm, I'm really grateful that his pursuit of me outlasted my ability to run from him. He, he loved first. We were singing it today. The foundation of every bleeding heart of love, every passionate expression to God is that he did it first towards us. <clears throat> there are several times that Jesus promised a great harvest of people, people flooding the church, people coming to the Lord, people who are drawn to God. And uh, maybe there's, there's not one any more clear than what he said in John 12, 32. Can you put John 12, 32 up there? We're gonna read a lot of scripture today. <clears throat> This is Jesus talking about his, his death. He says, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I used to think that that word draw was like an enticing, like an alluring, um, like he's, he's almost bartering with, uh, with the heart of humanity. But that word in Greek, I like to look up Greek too, Eric. You did a great job this morning, buddy. <laughs> but that word um, is the same Greek word that they used to describe when the disciples had the miraculous catch of fish. It was too big, and so they dragged it to shore. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Isn't this an amazing reality. It's the same Greek word that they use when uh, Paul and Silas were dragged into the marketplace to be uh, <laughs> addressed by the authorities. So what does it look like when people begin to be drawn in here? What does it look like when people are, for lack of a, a different word, I'll just use the Greek word, when people are dragged by the love of God into his house. What is it going to look like? We know that Jesus is not the type who would ever turn away the hungry or tired. In fact, from those verses, we know that those are the exact people that he's looking for. I wanna take a look at some of the people from scripture who were drawn to Jesus. So turn to Luke 7. This is Luke 7, 36. 
And we're gonna read all the way to, to verse 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. That's, that's the vision that I had this morning as I looked around the room and saw people weeping that the feet of the Lord were here to receive our, our tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave them the debts, forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But who have, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. So this woman found out through the grapevine that that rabbi that everyone's talking about, that Jesus who has power on his words is at a Pharisee's house and something grips her heart and she realizes that the only way to get rid of this burden that she's carrying is at the feet of this man. And she barges in. This is a socially awkward, uninvited moment of praise. This is extravagant. This is the kind of thing where people would turn and look at the spectacle. But she had a burden. It was a crushing weight to bear. Psalm 38, four says, my, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. So this woman knew the burden that Jesus was describing when he said, all you who are weary and burdened, come to me. She, more than anyone in that room, could clearly see her failures, shortcomings, and inability to live rightly. And in that moment, she was forgiven much. She was a lot like 
Mary, out of whom the Lord had cast seven demons. Could you imagine this woman falling at the feet of Jesus, maybe manifesting in some weird way? I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a person with seven demons, but uh, one of our apostles had him, Mary. <laughs> out, of, out of her came seven demons, and now she's part of Jesus's posse. So this morning, if this is you, if you feel overwhelmed, weary, and burdened by an exhausting life that you feel trapped in, then you are welcome here. I want to look at someone else from Scripture who was drawn to Jesus. Let's turn to uh, John chapter 3. We're gonna read all the way into verse 17. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, asked Nicodemus. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, but still, you people, as in the Pharisees, <laughs> don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up, or lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So here's Nicodemus, he is a really well-known, well-respected religious leader. He's part of the inner circle. He's worked his way up through the ranks. And he is sneaking out at night to Jesus. Nicodemus represents people in, who've been in the church for years and years. And maybe, maybe they're people who have notoriety. They're people who have Podcasts. There are people who have spoken in front of, of churches. There are people who uh, have a name that carries some clout. 
But right now they're realizing that all of their notoriety means nothing and their faith is actually broken. They've had more faith in their faith than faith in Jesus. There are Nicodemuses all over the world right now who have hard questions for Jesus, but they've been afraid to ask them because of what the ramifications might be. But they're leaving. They're leaving the teachings of the Pharisees and they're sneaking out into places where Jesus is being preached, where Jesus is residing. They're sneaking away from religion to, to search for something real. All of their theological certainty has only brought a burden on their hearts and it's alienated them from humanity and now they're looking for the real thing. I thought of something uh, while I read these, these verses that I hadn't thought before. This is John 3.16. It's a verse that has changed the course of humanity. You go to any... Uh, baby Christian or, or, or any you know, uh, children's ministry, you ask them to quote a verse, it's gonna be John 3.16. Wasn't it Tony Romo who had like 3.16 on his, on his cheeks while he played football? It's the most famous and probably the most quoted verse. We wouldn't have had it if Jesus hadn't welcomed a religiously demonized person into his home at night. We wouldn't have had it. We wouldn't have had this verse if Nicodemus didn't work up the courage to go and seek out the one who was drawing. <clears throat> the burden of religion is a crushing weight to carry. Flip over um, to Matthew eleven eighteen. I want to show you. This is probably my my number one verse that I go to, to to describe the activity of the religious spirit. Matthew eleven eighteen. This is Jesus talking about John the Baptist and um, and the Pharisees, the religious religious leaders' reaction to them. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds, or another translation says, wisdom is justified by her children. So Jesus in this moment is describing how annoyingly exhausting the religious spirit can be. He is essentially saying, and forgive this, just, it's just a colloquialism. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't with religion. You can fast your way trying to get into the presence of God and they'll say you have a demon, or you can feast and celebrate and they'll say you're a glutton. So there's no pleasing the religious spirit. Nicodemus is living under this crushing weight. There's just no way to make this spirit happy. It's probably the most exhausting way to live, to think that God is not happy, but I can make him happy through my sacrifice and obedience to the law. That's the most exhausting way to live. 
God is going to draw into the church, into this room, into our small groups. God is going to draw people into lunches and coffee shops and sit down with you who are feeling the weight that Nicodemus was feeling. They're full of hard questions. Their faith doesn't work anymore. They've had something happen in their life, some sort of trauma, some sort of loss. Some, they're, they're, they're wondering, where is God in all of this? So they're asking the real questions. And I want you guys to know, if you feel like Nicodemus this morning, if you're burdened by your religious past and you're seeking for something real, you're welcome here. And you're welcome to bring your hard questions. I wanna look at one more type of person that the Lord is drawing. Go ahead and open up to Luke 15. Starting in verse 11, this is, this is potentially uh, the biblical story that has brought more people to God than, more than any other. Jesus continued and said, there is a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, dad, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out. He's now a, a slave to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You guys probably know this, but in Jewish culture, pigs are a no-go. Bacon, no, no bacon with your breakfast. So for him to be a, like a Jewish son of a, of a wealthy family and end up feeding pigs, it is as if the Bible is, is telegraphing this idea that he has, he has arisen at a place lower than the lowest animal. He's serving the lowest animal. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no, wor no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted and said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Beloved, we are going to have so many celebrations in this room. 
So the prodigal to me today represents someone who has been in the church, who's, who's tasted things of the Lord, but for some reason, heart grows cold, becomes complacent, becomes curious about what the world has to offer. And so this kid goes off and he's gambling and getting into different substance abuse and that's impairing his judgment. And he's, he's trying to fill this void in his heart with, his older brother says that he's you know, spending his money on prostitutes. He walked out of his father's house with a burden only to trade it in for a heavier one. And he discovered the burden that Jesus was describing in Matthew 11, the one that is heavy and crushing. And he turned back and he saw the father running to him. And I wanna, I wanna say something this morning delicately. There are people, how do I say this? Not, not all who leave the church are leaving Jesus. Even if they think they are. <laughs> Where are you gonna go, right? He's Mr. Existence. You tell a mountain to cover you, behold, he's there. You go down to Sheol, hey, he's still there. <clears throat> so if someone is telling you Let's say you're in a conversation with someone and they're, and they're saying, man, I'm, I'm just giving up on God, giving up on religion. I'm, or they're saying, I'm, I'm leaving the church, I'm leaving God. I want you to try something. Just ask them, will you describe God to me? Because they will probably describe a monster that religion served up to them, some scary caricature of our father and then in that moment, I would counsel you to say to them, I would leave him too. Can I tell you about the real Jesus? The one that I know. Many people are being led by the Holy Spirit out the doors of churches who misrepresent Christ so they can go on a journey of discovering the real Jesus. If you feel like you've left the house like this son to see what the world has to offer, if you're in a place where you've been left unsatisfied with spirituality and you've sought fulfillment in things outside the gates and today you're feeling drawn to take one step, to turn around, to try God one more time, you're welcome here. And I want you to know that the father is running off the porch towards you Guys, if we become this kind of church, which I know we are, it's gonna be a messy one. Jesus got in trouble for living how I'm proposing that we live, and it is the same kind of trouble that we're gonna get in. We will get accused of being a sinful drunkard and glutton and friend of sinners and tax collectors will be accused of being soft on sin or being accused of, we'll get accused of being false grace or, and we'll get treated like Jesus once we have the message of Jesus. The most violent thing that we can do against sin is to speak his mercy. 
Jesus would face the backlash of people who don't like the messy and broken so that he could be with the messy and the broken. So what's at risk if we do church like this? If we choose to welcome everyone? What's at risk is our comfort, comfortable American cultural Christianity but that stuff really sucks anyway. <laughs> Church is really, really boring without the power of the Holy Spirit welcoming in the broken, transforming lives. Yeah. And really, even all of us, after we've been with the Lord for many years, we're still messy and still in need of Jesus's mercy and grace. And I feel like something that gets missed in that first uh, parable that we read this morning where Jesus is talking about the, the guy that was forgiven of 50 and the guy that was forgiven of 500. Whoever is forgiven of much loves much. But the thing is, one of the problems is that we don't realize that we've all been forgiven of much. We think that we were the 50. Even Jesus's disciples, his apostles, were a mess at the end of Jesus's time with them. And I want you guys to hear this. There's room at the table for you. If there's room at the table for Peter, who would deny Christ. There's room at this table for you if there's room for, G for Judas, who would betray the Lord. There's room at this table for you if there is room for the rest of them that all abandoned Jesus in his time of need. So what does it mean to live this kind of life? What does it look like to take up the, the burden of the Lord or his yoke? What does it mean to take up our cross and follow him? Think about this. If we're taking up our cross for this world, what does that actually mean? Does it mean that we are manifesting the wrath of the Father on people? Because wasn't the cross manifesting his wrath? Or does taking up our cross mean that we lay down our lives even for our enemies, that we welcome people? that we demonstrate self-giving, other-centered love. It means that we die for those who think they are our enemies. <clears throat> if we're taking up our cross, then the same thing is going to happen that Jesus prophesied when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will drag, I will draw all men to myself, which means that if we are people of the cross in this room, then people are going to be drawn through our doors because Christ is lifted up in our hearts. This might sound painful and exhausting, and I'm not guaranteeing that it won't be at times, but I do know that we go from exhausted to exhilarated when we do this kind of work, just like Jesus at the well when he said, I have food that you don't even know about. Jesus got to that well, he was exhausted and tired and suddenly there was someone who needed him. And he left exhilarated and full of energy. Maybe this is actually the hidden manna. 
Can I have the uh, Raffi? <laughs> and I'd like the ministry team to come up. I said at the beginning that I was going to lead us in repentance, which I am, and hopefully, just as I. I've been talking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been doing all the, the work of repentance with us. But I want to provide a moment for anyone. <clears throat> to come to the Lord, to come to the Lord again, or to come with your brokenness, to come with your questions. And I'd like to pray with us, for us, over us. And uh, while I'm praying, just please join me in repenting on behalf of the Bible Belt for the way we've turned away people. I don't mean to over-dramatize this, but this is everything to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we want to be a people who run off the porch for the prodigal. Jesus, we want to be just like you, and we want to light a lamp in the middle of the night to speak to the Nicodemuses. Jesus, we want to be just like you and welcome the ones who've come to wet your feet with their tears. So I pray that this morning two things would happen, Lord, that we would come, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are carrying burdens, that we would come to you. We would take your yoke upon us. We'd learn from you. You're gentle and you're humble. And we also pray that you would transform us into the one that the, the heavy laden people run to. We pray that you would make us the kindest people this world has ever seen, the most welcoming people this world has ever seen.